0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Beyond Psychedelics. Really excited today, we have Dr. Alex Camargo, which is really cool to be be having this conversation with him because he's working at an uh, organization called Fluence that is making a big difference in the psychedelic space. Dr. Camargo is a psychologist based in New York City, director of the Psychedelic Harm Reduction Integration Program at Fluence, which is a leading continuing education organization in psychedelic integration and psychedelic-assisted therapy. Founded by leading researchers in the field, Fluence is one of the most experienced and diverse faculties in psychedelic education. Alex provides psychedelic harm reduction and integration in his private practice, helping clients prepare for psychedelic experiences, incorporate insights, and cope with challenges post-experience. He's also a trained psilocybin therapist and has served as a lead therapist on psilocybin assisted therapy clinical trials at New York Psychiatric Institute, and is a mentor and traveling therapist for a multinational phase three trial of psilocybin assisted therapy for treatment-resistant depression. You're doing big things, Alex. Thank you so much for the work, for the effort, for your mission. Really glad to have you on the show today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Amazing, man. So as we, as I was doing some research on you and getting to know more of uh, you through Fluence and just the internet in general, I was really touched by the way in which you were moved to get into this before it was anything big. You were supporting your clients and more people kept coming into, the, into your practice, asking about psychedelics, which led you to continue... Your education found yourself at Fluence, and you saw there's as something that was really well founded and with a big future. Can you share with the listeners what it was like for you as a, as a as a therapist supporting people going through their through their treatment to have this conversation come in consistently that led you to actually step into Fluence?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think a, a really important one that hopefully many therapists are reflecting on themselves. So this requires a little bit of time travel. We're, we're looking at around 2017, I get my license to practice psychotherapy. And prior to that, I had a a deep kind of personal passion for psychedelics, but did not necessarily see how I could bring that into my private practice and, and had every intention of being a talk therapist. I, I love talk therapy. And and I do, despite some of my frustrations with the pace of change, I, I do think it can work. But I had this kind of burning passion all along the way around psychedelics and a real belief that they could be extremely helpful, not just for reducing symptoms, but for growth and aiding individuals finding meaning. But I just didn't see the picture of how I could bring it in to my practice in a way that honored you know, my license, my scope of practice, what I had been trained in. And it really wasn't until 2018 when I really started to notice an uptick in clients coming in saying, hey, you know, I, I read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, that that really did have a big impact on at least where I practice, which is in New York City. And they were asking me a lot of questions about it. On the one hand, I was like, great, I can share a little bit of what I know and what I'm passionate about and what I'm aware of in the research. And, and that's how it sort of initially started was people coming in with questions. At about 2019, I want to say, people started coming in with experience. It's not just questions, but sort of like, hey, I you know, had this mushroom experience at a festival over the weekend, and I really want to talk about it. Uh, more commonly what i was experiencing was people you know coming in feeling a little shy not certain how i would respond feeling as though they had this deeply meaningful experience and not knowing how to make sense of it and also getting a lot of different messages from people you know some people would say hey you know it's just a drug and it's all in your head So whatever deep meaning you experience, whether that be spiritual or interpersonal or deeply psychological, there is sort of the, it's a drug, it's all in your head, messages people were getting. And then some people were getting sort of like, you know, trust the medicine, everything you experienced is literally true. And so people were coming in talking about, You know fantastical experiences and really confused as to how to make sense of them so so that was one pretty significant group I was seeing another was people coming in saying I had a really tough time I'm still feeling really anxious about it Uh, frequently maybe it was the clientele I was working with people were having these existential crises or saying I've been living my life this way turns out I'm unhappy or frequently it was around jobs, sort of unhappy with my job, I want to make a change, I don't know whether I can trust what happened. And up to that point, I had been reading and following research and really diving into what I could do myself, really do it yourself in terms of even looking at manuals that were going on in in the FDA approved research, often sort of like early proof of study trials. But it didn't really give me a flavor of what I could be doing with someone in front of me. And I realized pretty quickly, I need some training. No. And that's actually what brought me to Fluence was was as a student. I, I reached out uh, to the founders. Uh, And it was a small organization at the time and said, you know, where can I go for more training in this? And they said, come here, take a few classes. And so my experience as a therapist was one of feeling very uncertain, feeling very excited, also feeling kind of over my skis and kind of frightened that what was being presented, I had... Know some familiarity with some some personal familiarity with as well, yet also feeling like it's entirely different when I'm the therapist holding space for another person who's asking me sometimes pretty direct questions, and you know anyone who's who's been in in therapy long enough knows that direct questions being asked to therapists often uh, results in a sort of. Uh, a follow-up question to the question and a roundabout answer. And and I wanted to explore, but also provide information at times. And I was finding myself kind of at the end of my own confidence there. So so to answer your question more succinctly, there was excitement, there was anxiety, there was uh, some cautious optimism that i was seeing more people interested in this and there's also a deep sense of responsibility i had to to learn more and to make sure that i was doing it as best as i could in terms of working with these clients you know i don't want to say do it right because we're still figuring that out but sort of like
0: you know learn as best as i could what was known at the time Mm, Gotcha, man. And it's so interesting. It's so cool to see the way in which the industry has grown. I mean, here you are, you were seeing people coming in with first just uh, having questions, then actually having knowing and then having an experience. So you were able to to see it firsthand what it was like to have someone that didn't know, to get curious, to then ask questions, then actually coming in with the actual experience itself, which I'm really touched with what you shared before in regards to some people being almost um, like scrutinized for it. And It sounds like the the paradigm that's been around, around these modalities and these compounds, it's, it's been around for a while and now it's quickly shifting and it's going to take some time. Obviously, there's a lot of momentum going in one direction, which is slowing down to go to the next in the opposite direction, which is for some acceptance. And we'll talk about Oregon and what they've done and the impact that they're creating. Uh, so it's awesome. It's awesome to see that. Now, within you talked about integration. You talked about supporting people going through that journey. Can you, that's something that for us on our end, it's really important for the listener to understand, to really plug into, to be responsible for, because the treatment itself is, that's the beginning. The work that happens afterwards is really what caused the big difference. So can you share with us integration, the power of it, and why somebody that is going to take these compounds should focus in on that?
1: Yeah. So what i like to think of and and you brought it up very succinctly this is an unfolding process the 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 experience you have for most people sort of catalyzes and and makes profound experience immediate but then someone goes back to their daily life and they need most of the time unless they're in a specific community this is more you know common in in an indigenous community that they, they where sort of like the entire community has integrated the the psychedelics into kind of daily life and daily practice and their cosmology et cetera. That's not most people's experience. That's certainly not a like New Yorkers' experience on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, right? It, it's sort of a, a very different uh, paradigm where you have this deeply profound experience or or. Or deeply uh, intense experience, maybe even a kind of subtle experience, and you're you have all these ideas of what occurred, but then there's a question of what do I do with this, and so and so integration I really see as the process of taking what's been uncovered, whether that's you know good, bad, or neutral. Speaking a little reductively, but good, bad, or neutral, and incorporating it into your daily life in a way where you can make use of it. And I want to be clear that doesn't necessarily mean psychotherapy. A lot of a lot of people have a psychedelic experience and they don't go into psychotherapy and they're able to make use of that psychedelic experience in a way that's deeply impactful in their daily life now how they do that is is really dependent on each individual they might do it through just their own process of reflection they might do it through dance you know they might do it through art they might do it through prayer you know that there's a variety of methods in which one can continue to process what's happened and bring it into their daily life it doesn't need to occur in psychotherapy what psychotherapy at least as a psychotherapist, I think it can be very helpful for is talking through some of it and you know, really focusing on kind of the, what I like to call kind of the interpersonal challenges of making changes, the psychological challenges of making changes, some of the identity challenges of making changes, who you were, who you are now, how do you want to have some continuity while also making changes as well so why i think integration is ultimately uh important beyond some you know outliers where someone's having a really terrible experience and they need a place to regulate and feel calm or or is really it's a an opportunity for people to safely take the experience and allow it to permeate through their daily life in a way that is practical and impactful and allows the psychedelic experience to not just be this amazing thing that happened one time that you want to do again and again and again to get that same feeling. I I think maybe that's a, a key there is integration allows it to breathe your experience to breathe in a place where you don't need to just keep returning to the medicine. I'm not saying don't ever, but it, it allows it to exist in your daily life where you're not in a non-ordinary state of consciousness.
0: Right. Right. Because what goes up is going to eventually come down. And if we're not really being mindful of the experience in between, the journey down can be much more challenging, which again, bring the integration, the breathing into the practice, which I really acknowledge what you just shared before because being a therapist yourself, you're showing that somebody doesn't have to go to somebody like yourself, which shows me that your commitment is to the consumer that's actually going through these treatments and these modalities to get better, not to just get tied into going to see a therapist on an ongoing basis, which from what I've seen so far, and from what the, the data shows, that's what these compounds do. They give people the freedom to be able to experience life again, not having to be tied into a specific medication or a specific person to have to go see. Which full respect, because again, that's your role, that's your job, and here you are sharing with, the cons- with us that if somebody goes through it, they don't have to go see you, it's recommended, but it's not a have to, which I think is really powerful.
1: Yeah, I think having an integration practice mm. is important. I think having an integration practice that incorporates not just your cognitions, but your emotions, your body, your spirituality if that's part of who you are if, you know having a holistic practice is important i see therapy as part of that potentially you know mm-hmm. therapy tends to focus for most people on their psycholo- their psychology their emotional challenges their day-to-day interpersonal challenges their as i said kind of maybe their 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 memories and how they see themselves and how they see want to see themselves later, that's not, you know, a therapist can't do everything. Like, like some therapists have different skill sets. I personally am not trained in more somatic body work. And sometimes people need that in their integration practice. If someone's coming in with a clear sign that that's what they're looking for, I'm going to say, go see someone else. I'm going to say, go work with a body worker or, or you know, maybe go dance or go go find another
0: practice for this other than psycho. Mm-hmm. So good, because we're all so different. We all have our own way of, of going about it. I, I like what you just said re- uh, regarding that spiritual side, if we have that. And uh, at the Psychedelic Science event in Denver in June, I was listening to um, a panel specifically on people that have gone through these compounds and what happened afterwards. And the numbers were staggering, showing that people came out on the other side with a deep reverence to life, a sacredness that before didn't exist. And these these conferences opened up a whole new perspective in such an incredible way. I know for me, they did as well. I've gone through a couple from psilocybin to MDMA to ayahuasca to DMT. And it just opened up my my whole perspective on life and really a deeper sense of gratitude for this experience. I think part of it was because my, I died in a way. There's a whole experience that I had to let go of that had me experience life in a whole new way. You mentioned before that you've, you've had some personal experiences yourself. How important would you say it is for a therapist that's supporting going, uh, for a therapist supporting somebody going through these treatments to actually also understand what it's like? That's
1: a great question. And my thinking on that has evolved so much, it, and, and it kind of depends on the day that you ask me. <laughs> so for a long time, my answer was, yeah, you you have to have this experience. My thinking on that, it has shifted a little bit. One is because, you know, to to an extent that I'll share my concerns about that requirement. Mm. One is that that's going to limit access because you're essentially asking people to engage in in something that is legal in only certain circumstances to go get that training to then be able to offer a service like integration or like preparation. And that, that might really limit the number of professionals, for lack of a better term, who would be able to sit with someone or prepare someone or integrate with someone. So, I do have a bit of a concern, sort of practically speaking, about that expectation or requirement. My honest answer is that I think it depends on on the culture, the service that the client is looking out for. You know, as a a clinician on these FDA-approved trials, there's a manual, and it's a short-term treatment, and... It seems it feels less necessary to have had your personal experience when you're a therapist on these trials because there's so much structure and support and manualized treatment around you. Now, if you're living in, if you're a client seeking a more, for lack of a better term, shamanistic experience, it would be absurd for it, for. A practitioner to not have apprenticed with, you know, a shaman or you know, because that is the paradigm. You know, it's it's a completely different paradigm. I think what I tend to focus on, rather than do you need this experience or not, is what are the what is the presence required of someone in my position to sit if it if to sit with another human being and make the experience valuable for that person and mm-hmm. that, you know to me what i tend to emphasize right is importance of compassion yet strength boundaries and empathy um a tolerance for pretty strong affect you know pretty st- like the ability to work with someone who's who's crying one second and laughing the next bravery i think it is a very brave act that everyone is you know entering into both therapist and client when it comes to psychedelics because they can be quite powerful and intense what i would say is it doesn't hurt it can help <laughs> having these experiences i would say i think the modality probably determines whether it's an absolute requirement or not like i could see in these fda trials right you know so long as you're being supervised and so long as their structure is around you and you have the manual it's not so necessary in a more indigenous practice of course it's necessary it's kind of built cosmology itself so you're not just learning the skills of facilitating you're sort of learning the cosmology, you're learning about spirits, you're, you're sort of engaging in that kind of work. Now, in the, I guess the Oregon model, I would say it could help, but, you know, it, it, it would I require it? What I'd be looking out for more is kind of those those capacities I mentioned. Like how are you able to sit with people and make it not about yourself? And make it not about, even if you had the experience and even if you're both seeing God or, or you've had the experience of seeing God and your client is having the experience seeing God or nature or transcendence, doesn't mean you're going to have the same reaction to it. So you got to check yourself. And that is what I would really emphasize is is as a key, uh, I don't want to say skill, but competency is like, can you get outside of yourself and really be there for another person and offer presence and compassion and strength, but empathy, et
0: cetera. Man, you're talking about relationships at the next level. Imagine if we all were to walk around like that with all of us. That's incredible. (laughs) Bring the level of presence. That's amazing.
1: yeah, well, that it would be hard <laughs>
0: <laughs> for sure. For sure, we're all tied into we all about myself and what we're dealing with and all that. But let's let's um let's kind of shift gears because you brought it up ready. So let's dive into it with Oregon. Oregon's Measure One Hundred Nine has been a game changer for therapy. Can you share for the listeners what it is and what this uh, landmark decision is really supporting in the the, the growth of this field?
1: Measure one oh nine right offers legal access, legal supervised access to to a psilocybin session. And what I mean by that is you as a consumer are able to go to a clinic and receive a at the very least a preparation session complete with assessment informed consent, you know, preparation for what would happen during a psilocybin session a supervised psilocybin session, and then, again, at the very least, an integration session. So you have the opportunity to to have, you know, the idea is to have a safe psilocybin mushroom experience with a professional who's had training and who is able to create an environment... Within within certain parameters to your liking, so that you can have kind of a, a meaningful and safe experience. And there's a, an entire regulatory, you know, uh, apparatus around it, and and there's training requirements, etc. That Measure One Hundred Nine also lays out for individuals. But what it enables is that supervised psilocybin experience.
0: Which is so important because we've heard, I've heard too many stories of people that try these treatments and these compounds without any sort of preparation set and setting properly put in place. And they have these uh, quote unquote bad trips that leads them in a worse position than than they were before. So that just goes to show that there's a lot of support around what's happening. There's obviously a lot that still needs to be put in place to be effective in the expansion. uh, Still with the legality brought up before the cosmology from an indigenous context, which we take that and then we put it in, let's say, in a room where that isn't really being acknowledged, I imagine it's going to make a difference as well in the impact of the actual treatment itself. Looking into Fluence, within Fluence, what what is, for a provider that's listening, someone that's exploring the idea of stepping more into this field, how has Fluence supported you in expanding your practice or what can they expect if they were to join the organization? Yeah. So
1: as I said, I came in as a student and what i got kind of immediately was was two things one was a sense community which was very important to me you know that these were individuals all passionate about this thing that i was passionate about it really alleviated that sense of i have to do this on my own the other thing and i think is really important is that these were all the trainers were all mental health practitioners and so they spoke my language you know now now there are other you know there are other avenues to being a facilitator in say uh oregon right like one does not need to be a licensed mental health practitioner in order to get the facilitator's license and offer these you know these services in oregon But Fluence came from that approach because that's what our founders were. They were licensed mental health practitioners. And I I do think one needs to know their own sort of perspective and own their perspective uh, in order to be able to offer training that's appropriate. And so what I think you can get, what I got from Fluence was training that was that presumed you have your counseling skills down and you have your own therapeutic voice, your own way of helping people. It gave me a set of of knowledge and a form of inquiry. Really, I think what is very important that I do want to emphasize is an emphasis on harm reduction to this work that I had not seen anywhere else. And when I say an emphasis on harm reduction, what I mean is recognizing the agency of the other person, recognizing that your job in this place is not to impose your worldview or your judgments or your opinions, but to explore and elaborate and illuminate what the other person's values are, their motivations for doing this, you know, and really talk through, okay, here are your expectations and your motivations. Here's what you're planning on doing and asking them how they line up and exploring, you know, the the different outcomes of how they're planning on doing this work and exploring the, the when I say consequences, I don't mean bad things that will happen. I mean just literally what would happen as a result of this set of actions or this setup. And that harm reduction approach of as I said, recognizing, you know, every person has agency in their own life. The other part of harm reduction that often gets lost is benefit maximization. Like not just not just making sure bad things don't happen. By creating an environment that will, as I said, sort of create the possibility the most beneficial things happening. That was something that Fluence really emphasizes. All of the trainers have been involved in the field for uh, you know a fairly long time. Most have experience. Most, if not all, have experience doing clinical work as integration therapists and also many, if not most have been involved in the clinical research trials which you know have some benefits and, and drawbacks you know not not all outpatient treatments are going to look like clinical research trial So I felt as though this was a really informed group as well so not just a welcoming group, not just a community but a community that took, scope of practice really seriously, that took ethics really seriously, that, you know, took a harm reduction approach to this work, which is, which really spoke to me.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Setting people up for success at the end of the day to actually have a powerful experience to do it. Really cool. Really cool. I think it, as the industry grows, a lot of that's going to be required to ensure that people are getting the best out of it and decreasing any sort of uh hog that it, it may cost going through the actual uh experience themselves. Now as we wrap up here, what is your we fast forward 10 years, what do you see the psychedelic therapy industry at?
1: Oh my gosh, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> um, what where I where I would love to see it is first off, I think federally some things need to to shift. And I'm Cautiously optimistic that many psychedelics will be rescheduled. I I know that that's you know, that creates challenges on the state, state initiative basis. Even in Oregon, you know, it's a facilitator's license that you're working under, not not a psychotherapy license, for example. So I am cautiously optimistic that there will be some changes in the scheduling. And I think that creates more opportunity for for states to offer services like Oregon is offering. I think if nothing else it also oper- offers opportunity for you know intrepid researchers to do more work to see how that, you know in what circumstances it is most beneficial and for whom and in what context that is very kind of medicalized. The thing that that I I'm certainly open to and hope continues is that the medical community doesn't, you know, doesn't gatekeep for lack of a better term, meaning kind of require it go through only this provider. I do think accountability is important. And so that's an issue that like is a big question mark for me is how do you maintain accountability and safety without kind of the existing structures in place? My most sort of like optimistic perspective is that this will be, you know, integrated seamlessly in Oregon and Colorado and in other early moving states. And it will serve as a template for other states to kind of follow and that this will reduce kind of the the burden of you know this mental health crisis that i think is going on you mentioned kind of that experience awe and sacredness i think this is my own just observation and my own personal observation a lot of people experience a lot of isolation and alienation right now and i think some of these psychedelics can be very helpful in, you know, breaking down some of the ways in which we unconsciously isolate ourselves or experience isolation or experience lack of connectedness to a broader world. And, and, and you know, my more optimistic, you know, pie in the sky is like there will be a greater sense of community and connection to sacredness or at the very least to oneself and you know that it will, in fact, create you know uh, more opportunities or different opportunities for people to work on on growth, human growth. I tend not to think of mental health as just symptom reduction, but sort of like people actually feeling fulfilled. So that's my hope that it it certainly contributes in that. I don't think it will be for everyone. Some people will continue with psychiatric medications and talk therapy and it's necessary for that Mm -hmm. to occur. I I do think that though this has a lot of potential to really fill in some of the gaps that our current mental health system is is failing us. And I know that's not so concrete because I think there's still a lot of questions, but Mm -hmm. very concretely, What I would see in the next ten years is is hopefully a rescheduling of psychedelics on a federal level, more state initiatives, ideally some kind of federal bill decriminalizing psychedelics, and you know we will probably still be working on the accountability safety piece in ten years as
0: well. (laughs) I mean that's that that's human nature right there, and always needed to be uh, in a way boundary with boundaries to make sure that it's are being used properly. And now with the work that you're doing, the clinical trials. And I mean, if we have now the data that we have today, based on what's happened, I can only imagine what we're going to have in 10 years. And the way it's going to open up the objective realization that these treatments, these modalities, these compounds with the proper use, with the proper setting, with the proper preparation are causing incredible support for people. So, thank you for the work you're doing. This has been such an awesome conversation. I feel like it's just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that we can dive into. Um, I would ex- love to explore maybe a year from now to see where everything is at, see how you're doing, and see how the industry is going. Thank yeah. you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time.
1: Enjoying I enjoy it.